Welcome to Thoughts in the Market. I'm Andrew Sheets, Chief Cross-Asset Strategist for Morgan Stanley Research. And I'm Matthew Harrison, Equity Research Analyst covering biotechnology. And today on part two of this podcast, we'll be continuing our discussion on the Delta variant and the outlook for markets in the economy. It's Friday, July 30th at 4 p.m. in London. And it's 11 a.m. in New York. So, Matt, in your conversations with biopharma companies, what's your expectation on booster shots? And maybe just if you could just walk listeners through that process where, you know, a new variant comes along, how does that get into the field? How does that get approved in order to get those shots into arms? So I guess the first thing is what's going on with boosters? There is not a consensus on boosters yet. The evidence is starting to suggest that, especially in older adults, that their prevention of symptomatic disease is going down quicker than other groups. But you've heard from both the U.S. regulatory authorities as well as the U.S. health authorities that they're still waiting for evidence to try and figure out what the right path is. The companies obviously want to be prepared for any eventuality and so have looked at data in a variety of patient subgroups and a variety of patients that basically demonstrate that if you get a third dose, the level of protection from the vaccine is actually significantly higher than it was after the second dose. And what I mean by that is the level of protection as measured by neutralizing antibodies. And so I think we know that if there are subgroups of people that are at high risk, Boosters may be appropriate for them. You've seen some countries start to deploy this, Israel being the the best example where they're giving a third dose to people that are immune compromised or at high risk. But it sounds like from a regulatory standpoint, it's probably going to take a few more months in the U.S. for that picture to be sorted out. The companies have suggested that they would be in a position in the fall to file with regulators uh, for booster shots. What difference would it make on a practical basis, do you think, for these vaccines to receive full FDA approval? What's this process like and what is the current thinking on the timeline? I think from a practical basis, there is not a significant difference between an EUA and a full approval. I think full approval does allow certain groups to maybe mandate vaccines where they couldn't when it's an emergency authorization. Um, And so that may have an effect on getting certain groups to take the vaccine where there might be high vaccine hesitancy. And so that may help sort of broadly speaking. But outside of that, I, I don't think there are many practical differences. In terms of the process, the FDA for a standard review process has a lot of review pieces that it, let's call, double checks what the company gives them. So it may go and it will visit the manufacturing plan and it will give site inspections. It may go visit many of the clinical trial sites and audit the records at those sites. And while my understanding is some of those things have been spot done in terms of an emergency use authorization, they haven't been done to the same degree that they might typically be done. And so, you know, you should basically think about it as, crossing all the T's and and dotting all the I's. I wanted to ask you about your outlook for the rest of the year. Many companies are now asking employees to return to work, school starting soon. How do you view the path of the virus through the fall and the winter? So for Delta in the U.S., I'm watching hospitalization data, and, and it appears from that data we are about a month behind what's happening in the U.K. So that would put us at a peak in the U.S. sometime in the late August, early September timeframe. My expectation, though, is that the coronavirus is a seasonal virus. And because I believe it's endemic, we are likely to see cases rise again 
in the mid to late winter. So that's similar to what we saw last year, that sort of late December, early January timeframe through those few months. It will obviously depend on how much progress we've made on vaccinations through that period, but I would expect to see a, a wave of new infections at that point. I think schools should be able to function appropriately. Uh, vaccinations for pediatrics hopefully should be available sometime in the fourth quarter of this year. And so I, I don't really see an issue for schools, but I think schools are going to function sort of in the same way that they had previously because there's going to be a clear mix of potentially vaccinated teachers and a lot of unvaccinated children because they just didn't have access yet. So I think there will be mask wearing and some social distancing in schools, but they should be able to function normally. And I think for the workplace, assuming you have a high proportion of vaccinated people, I don't think the risk is significant, but there will be probably some outbreaks that will occur and we'll just have to sort of treat them in the same way that they've previously been treated. And finally, Matt, what's the biggest question you're getting from investors that uh, I haven't had a chance to ask you today? It's mainly people are trying to figure out how impactful Delta is going to be if we should expect to see any additional lockdowns at any point. And then really the risk that you see other variants. I don't expect to see new lockdowns going forward. I think potential outbreaks will be treated on a case-by-case targeted basis. And I think both citizens as well as you know governments are going to sort of treat this as an endemic virus that we have to learn how to deal with and, and deploy sort of the medical field as best we can to help people that do get infected. Andrew, and I think maybe one important question for you is just how do you think the market has reacted to Delta and how has that impacted your outlook through the rest of the year? You know, markets are kind of pattern recognition machines and what you've had is a number of things that have all kind of helped feed off each other to, I think, make investors appear a lot more concerned about the growth outlook. And Delta has been part of that. Some of stalling of progress on the infrastructure package in the U.S. has been part of that narrative. And just the fact that Treasury yields had risen a lot, cyclical stocks had been doing really well through March and April, you know, that kind of set themselves up for some normalization of that pattern. And, and that together with a rise in Delta cases, together with a lack of fiscal progress, I think has made people a lot more worried about growth. But ultimately, you know, I think that this is a growth scare. It's not a, a real growth slowdown. And you know, as you mentioned, a potential peak in cases in late August, early September is pretty important. You know, the fact that on the other elements of growth, Ellen Zentner and our U.S economics team is calling for a quite healthy jobs number uh, next week in the next payroll number. My colleague Michael Zesis is pretty optimistic that infrastructure will see progress. So, you know, Delta has been part of this growth slowdown narrative, but ultimately I think that we'll get through this, the growth optimism will rise. And, and this is a reason why, um, you know, we do think that treasury yields are going to move higher from here. And we think this is a good time to be short bonds. As always, Matt, thanks for taking the time to talk. Great speaking with you, Andrew. As a reminder, if you enjoy Thoughts of the Market, please take a moment to rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. It helps more people find the show. The preceding content is informational only and based on information available when created. It is not an offer or a solicitation, nor is it tax or legal advice. It does not consider your financial circumstances and objectives and may not be suitable for you. 